0: Are new. Faith Talk 570 WTBN, Pinellas Park, and 910 WTWD, Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by
1: Verse Ministries.
2: So exactly what kind of person is Jesus talking about as we get down to understanding this individual? He's referring to the type of person who is too preoccupied with the things of this world to take seriously the gospel of Christ.
1: In today's hectic lifestyle, most people are preoccupied with many things. They live in the here and now, without giving any thought to the eternity they will face very shortly. It takes patience and guidance from the Holy Spirit to know how to share Christ's love with them. We welcome you to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is our instructor in these daily classes. We're in Matthew 13, verses 22 and 23. We hope you can stay tuned for the whole program. But if not, make a note of our website where you can stream or download this message again. It is versebyverseradio.org. Sign up for our free podcasting service so you won't miss any of these great studies. Let's get into our study for today as Steve continues discussing the kinds of opposition we will face as we sow the seed.
2: James Boyce, in his very wonderful book on the parables, explained this kind of opposition to Christ. Here's what he wrote. The opposition of the unregenerate means unsaved heart to God's sovereignty is particularly evident in these kingdom parables for kingdom means rule and rule is the same as sovereignty. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he came preaching God's right to rule over the minds and hearts of all people. But that is precisely what the people involved did not want. Adam did not want it. He had great freedom But he was offended by God's restriction in the case of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If God exercised his sovereignty at that point, it was here that Adam would rebel. And so he did and fell, carrying the race with him. That spirit of rebellion against the sovereign God works itself out in history until the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes to earth. And the response of his people is we will not have this man to rule over us. End of quote. And and folks, that's the same way it is today with hard hearted people. They hear the word about the king and his kingdom, but they don't want the king to rule over them. So they do nothing with it. It's so meaningless to them that they fail to give it any serious, careful consideration. And that's exactly why they fail to understand it. They don't understand it because they don't even think it's worth considering. It just can't be valid because they will not have anyone rule over them. So they do nothing with the word of God. And I want you to know as we said before, it doesn't even mean that they have to be hostile. Sometimes they're hostile. Sometimes like the scribes and Pharisees, but other times they're just apathetic. The point is their heart, their heart is hardened and they do nothing with it. It just lies there, never penetrates their lives. And that's why Jesus said, lying there, Satan sees it. And like the birds in the story, he swoops in, snatches up the word from them and he does it by giving them some convenient excuse that helps to justify their rejection of the gospel you, you'll rarely find somebody the once in a while you will but you'll rarely find somebody who will say let me just level with you i don't want christ ruling over my life i'm very content with my sin i'll not have him be lord of my life instead they'll give all kinds of justifications for rejecting Christ. Well, Christianity has too many hypocrites. I don't want to be one of them. Or I'm already satisfied with my own religious system, and and I don't need anything else. I'm happy for you. I'm glad it works in your life, but it's not for me. Or I don't believe that people are inherently evil, but good. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not bad enough that I need a savior from sin. Or, you know what? I I don't believe in that at all because the Bible is so filled with contradictions that I'm, I'm not even going to think about this. Now, people give those kinds of excuses, but I want you to know they're satanically inspired in excuses. Now, they're not conscious of that, but that's what it is. Satan has swooped in and blinded them and taken the word away from them. So the first kind of heart that Jesus spoke about was the hardened heart. The second kind of heart that Jesus spoke about in terms of responsiveness to the gospel is the shallow heart. Verses 20 and 21, the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but he is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is so important to understand because our evangelical churches are filled with people like this. This person's heart is compared to the soil that had a layer of rock just beneath the surface. As I told you last week, he's not talking about a field that has all kinds of rocks lying around. The farmer would be smarter than that. He'd remove that, but this is what he couldn't see. The layer of rock lies just below the surface so that the soil is extremely shallow. And just like the plants that initially look good because they immediately sprang up from from the shallow soil, so these individuals initially look good too. Jesus said that they hear the word and they immediately receive it with joy. They're they're happy about this and their lives do take on some immediate changes. But like the plant seed in the rocky soil who were not rooted in the depth of healthy soil, these individuals are are not and were not rooted in Christ, which means that they were never converted, which means that they never had a transformed heart. That's why Jesus said they're only temporary and they fell away, not from salvation because they never had salvation. They fell away from being identified with Christianity when faced with the prospect of suffering for Christ, even though they didn't know Christ being identified with him invites suffering and persecution. You see, these individuals had nothing more than an emotional, shallow, religious experience. It was just a feel-good experience. That's why they're so happy to, to, to hear this, because they, they looked at Jesus as someone who'd make their life better now, right now. All they saw in him is someone who would improve their present situations. They might have been going through a crisis. They, they might have been going through a very difficult time, and they looked at Jesus as one who would just help them get over this and get through this. They were never convicted of their sin. They, they were never convicted of their lostness, their need for repentance, their submission to Christ's lordship in their lives. They just jumped on the Jesus bandwagon in hopes of improving their lives. Folks, this is the seeker-sensitive church. That's what they, that's what they appeal to. Come to Jesus and life will be better. Now, I believe, as I said, that many people we know today are just like this because they're evangelical churches have many people like this because many evangelical churches have just watered down the gospel message. So they're encouraging these kinds of emotional yet non salvation experiences. It raises attendance. It it gives some kind of dynamic to the church, but it's just not the gospel and folks like this, um, Tend to be very welcomed in the church because you know what? They give the church a, a sort of a real shot of spiritual, spiritual adrenaline because they're, they're usually extremely zealous at first. And in their zeal, they seem to just kind of pep up the rest of the church. But eventually, at some point, sometimes sooner than, than later, sometimes a little bit later, but at some point, they are going to be faced with the cost of discipleship. You claim to be a disciple. Something's going to happen in their lives in which they're going to have to take a stand for the truth. And they're not willing to do it because they're not real disciples. They aren't prepared to handle rejection from family, from friends. They're not ready to live a moral, sexually moral life uh, many times because they don't want to be ridiculed by the world. They don't want to be laughed at. They're not prepared to live by God's, high standards of truth and morality. So when faced with the cost of discipleship, they back off. And what do they do? They return to their old way of life. That's why you don't see them anymore. Now, don't let this shake your faith. You may know a lot of people who at one time claimed to know Christ. They may have been been serving in the church. But where are they now? They're they're back at, at old heretical, false religious systems. And you go, what what, what happened? Will they really know the Lord? Doesn't God keep his own? God does keep his own. They were not his own. Philippians chapter one says this, verse six, he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God who begins the good work of salvation will not abandon his own. But these folks were not his own. Let let me have you look at John chapter 10. I think this is the greatest affirmation of that wonderful doctrine of eternal security. Once a believer, you are always a believer, not because you hang on to Christ, but because he hangs on to you. It's not really, we call it the perseverance of the saints. It's really more the perseverance of the Savior with the saints. That's really what it is. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and and I know them, and they follow me. These are the elect. These are the chosen ones before the foundation of the world, and they follow. They come to Christ. They hear his voice. They hear his convictions of uh, dealing with their own hearts. They respond to him, and Jesus said, I give eternal life to them, and they'll never perish. Did you get that? They'll never perish. There are no exceptions. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Notice that he's holding on to us. We're not holding on to him. It's not based on our performance. It's based on his mercy and grace and and power in our lives. And then he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Folks, we don't simply believe in eternal security. We believe in double eternal security. We're in the hands of Christ. We're in the hands of the father. So don't be shaken. Don't be shaken in your faith when you know of somebody who sure looked good on the outside But now they want nothing to do with Christ. Jesus said in John 8.31, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Perseverance is a key mark of a believer. True believers not only persevere through through trials and sufferings and persecutions for Christ, but they actually draw closer to the Lord. They don't move away. They, They may have some difficulties initially. But eventually, at the end of the day, they are closer to the Lord and leaning upon him their hearts become even more submissive. So be confident in the Lord to keep his own, regardless of how many people disappoint us by returning to their old way of life. I am reminded of 2 Peter chapter 2. I would like you to see this because I hope this, this becomes a visual in your mind. I don't want to mess up your lunch, but you'll see in a moment. Hopefully it doesn't, but at least it will be a visual. You'll think about this. Second Peter is a letter addressed to believers, uh, believing churches, who were infiltrated by false teachers. Second Peter and Jude are about false teachers coming into the church. It, it appears that uh, both of these books work together, and they had come into the church. These were men who at one time claimed to know Christ, and not only now do they reject him, but they were teaching others their heresies to try to seduce them to believing their error. They, they are noted as apostates. An apostate is one who at one time said he believes, now he doesn't. He rejects what he once claimed to hold to. And in verse 21 of chapter 2, we read this. Peter said, for it would be better for them. He's talking about these false teachers. Not to have known the way of righteousness, than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandments handed on to them. He's saying it would have been better for them had they never known the truth. They would have still died and, and gone to hell, but there are degrees of suffering and punishment in hell, and these would have some of the worst reserved for them. And then notice he explains what's happened. Why did these people claim to know Christ? And now they're teaching just the opposite. It has happened, he says in verse 22, to them according to the true proverb. This is a true proverb, a truism. A dog returns to its own vomit. Try not to think about this at lunch, but but some point after. A dog returns to its own vomit and a pig after washing returns to, the, to wallowing in the mire. What is he saying? Just as it is the nature of a dog to eat its own vomit and the nature of a pig to wallow in mud, So it is the nature of unbelievers to return to their old way of life. Now, listen, some of you have have dogs that you just love. Maybe some of you have pigs. I don't know. But you have dogs that you love and you can uh, paint their toenails. You can talk baby talk to them. You can put little ribbons in their hair. But you're going to see they're still dogs. If they throw up, they're not saying I'm leaving that. They're going for those for that vomit. And. A lot of, of other more disgusting things that I won't mention in the pulpit that a dog does. Because no matter how human you treat a dog, they are still dogs. And and you can have Porky Pig and have him say his all of his lines, but he is still a pig. Because his nature has never been changed. No matter what you do on the outside, his nature is the same on the inside. And... A dog and a pig are going to act like dogs and and pigs, and an unregenerate individual is going to act like an unregenerate individual. That's Peter's point. The shallow-hearted person never experienced a new divine nature because he was never rooted in Christ, and that's the reason he fell away from his brief identification with Christianity. He is acting the way his nature is dictating. Now, those are the the two types of heart response to the gospel that we looked at last week, the hardened heart and the shallow heart. This morning, we want to finish up our study of this parable by looking at the third and then the fourth type of heart response of the gospel that Jesus spoke of. The third type is the preoccupied heart, the preoccupied heart. He tells us in verse 22, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus compared this person's heart to soil that was full of weeds. Weeds that, that came in the, in the form of, of many thorns that, that grew up. And so just as the plant seed wasn't able to grow because the thorns choked out all the nourishment needed for their development, so there are certain thorns, weeds, Jesus said, in this person's life that choke out God's word from bearing fruit fruit. This is not a converted individual either. In other words, like a field infested with with weeds that compete with the seed, this individual's heart is infested with weeds that compete with the word of God. That's the analogy. That's really what a parable is. A parable is a comparison. It's an analogy. So exactly what kind of person is Jesus talking about as we get down to understanding this individual, he's referring to the type of person who is too preoccupied with the things of this world to take seriously the gospel of Christ. He's too absorbed in the things of this world. He listens to the gospel that's explained to him. And unlike the hardened heart, he doesn't reject it outrightly. He doesn't reject it, nor does he respond to the gospel with shallow hearted enthusiasm But his problem is different. He hears the gospel. He may even, and usually they do make a profession of faith in Christ, but there is no room in his heart for Jesus. Why? His heart's already filled with things, filled with the things of this world and the things in this world that he loves. And it's the things of this world that act like weeds to choke out the gospel. Now, the the Greek word for choke out means to, to squeeze, to crowd together in the sense that that they just squeeze out the word of God from bearing fruit. There's no room for the word of God. The heart is already filled. Got no room for, for God's word. Now, Jesus spoke of two things in particular that or squeeze out the gospel from having, having an impact on this, this person's life. First, he spoke of the worry of this world choking out the word of God, meaning that this individual's life is preoccupied with all kinds of anxieties. That's the word worry. All kinds of anxieties related to life in general. That is to say, he is so absorbed with worrying about such daily things as, does he have enough money? Uh, What about his job security, his health, his safety, his reputation, his, his possessions? He really doesn't have an interest in eternal matters. Eternal matters don't matter because he's only thinking about today. He's living for today. He's worried about today. The guy's just trying to survive today, and he's filled with, with fretting and anxiety about today. Kent Hughes describes this individual as someone who's, and I quote, heart, whose heart makes a gesture towards Christ, but life's worries draw it back, leaving no room for authentic spiritual concern. This is really a worldly person. I mean, we speak about a world worldliness, but so often when we say that we're we're talking about legalistic outward things. But this is true worldliness because all this person thinks about are the issues of the world and, and the thought about the world is the age, the age that he lives in. He's not thinking about the next world. He's not thinking about eternity. He's thinking about the here and now. He's really never considered what eternity will bring. He's never considered that. And so he has never seen the need to repent and trust Christ for eternal life. Everything is today. Everything is now. All that matters to him are life's current problems and issues. He has a heart that is just too preoccupied with the challenges of life here and now to consider anything of an eternal nature. Now, the second thing that Jesus said chokes out the word. From taking root in this person's heart is the deceitfulness of riches or wealth and that goes along hand-in-hand with the worries of this world see he worries about whether or not he has enough things and therefore he has deceived himself into thinking that having money is the answer to all of his earthly problems that's the problem with this person he's always worried about does he have enough so he thinks that if he has enough everything is taken care of so he lives to make money and he lives to accumulate possessions. Now, understand, the Bible never condemns making or, or even having money. The Bible never condemns that. But it does give serious warnings and condemnation about the spiritual consequences of loving money and pursuing money. In other words, making it the goal of your life, the, the major pursuit of your life. And we read this, for example, in First Timothy Chapter six, this is, this is such an important, important statement. First Timothy chapter six, verses nine and 10. Paul said, but those who want to get rich, now notice he didn't say those who were rich. You can be very poor, but want to get rich. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And he explains, for the love of money, notice he didn't say money itself, but the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, notice, by longing for it, there's that pursuit, there's that wanting to get rich, there's that living for money. Some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Those who pursue riches only bring about many personal griefs in their lives because in pursuing riches, they ignore their own soul's welfare. They deceive themselves into thinking that money is all they really need, only to realize after death that they are lost for eternity without any hope. Then it's too late. That's the deceitfulness of riches. And Jesus actually, in Luke chapter 12 gave another parable that illustrates this. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 12, because so many are in the same category. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, he said, he told them a parable saying the land of a, of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crop? So here was a successful farmer. It'd be like somebody today being a very successful businessman. I've made a lot of money with this store. I think I'm going to open up more stores because it says, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. So here's a successful man in terms of money. He's just going to expand and expand and expand. And he says, he's going to speak to his soul. Verse 19, I'll say to my soul, soul you have many goods laid up for many years to come take your ease eat drink and be merry but god said to him you fool this very night your soul is required of you and now who will own what you have prepared so is the man who stores up treasures for for himself and is not rich towards god you know what this is the kind of person that says i have many years left In life, when I retire, then I will consider spiritual matters. But right now, these are my years to earn money. That's what it's all about. I will eventually be able to just pay attention to my soul's needs. And Jesus said, you're a fool if you think like that. You're a fool because you don't know when God is going to require your soul. You don't know when you're going to die. Those who pursue riches are in grave danger. Grave danger, And the story serves just as a great warning about putting off coming to faith in Christ because you've made priority, the priority of your life, making money. When you're old, you'll consider giving your life to Christ. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, you've deceived yourself because all that you have accumulated is someday going to be gone when you die. And then you'll find yourself facing eternity without having taken care of your soul. So be very careful of that, if if that's your category that your heart is in.
1: Thank you for tuning in today. As Pastor Steve Kreloff brings his final study on the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils on the next Verse by Verse program, we will see some very encouraging things to help us in witnessing for our Lord Jesus. Lakeside Community Chapel is where Steve Kreloff has faithfully ministered over the past 30 years. A newly released book, Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd, contains some of the best sermons from his ministry and is being sent to all who contribute any amount to Verse by Verse this month. That address is Verse by Verse Ministries, The box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You can contribute online by going to versebyverseradio.org or call us at 727 727- Two three nine zero three zero six, and our email address is contact at versebyverseradio We hope you'll take advantage of this great resource for your spiritual growth. Until next time, I'm Jerry Pruden.
2: Deepening your faith.
0: The Lord came, called from heaven, and Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, "Here I am." Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way.
1: Now
2: I know. Question:
0: In your defining moment, does God know?
2: Faith Talk 570 and 910
0: WTB. Three-star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.